You're listening to Caregivers Out Loud, powered by Family Caregivers of British Columbia and hosted by Bill Israel. Everyone copes in their own way with shocking news impacting their life. The reaction may depend on age, family situation, cultural background, and spiritual beliefs. As caregivers, we advocate and provide a voice for our care recipients, especially when going through the death and dying process. In our era of medical and information culture, we must remember the important layer of the non-cognitive and spiritual aspects of end-of-life care that requires a human touch. When entering this death and dying territory of hospice and palliative care, having someone along your side who understands the process is valuable. Meet Erin Yukich, who is passionate about empowering caregivers and their recipients to create care plans and support systems that uphold their dignity and sense of autonomy while honoring their unique cultural traditions, belief systems, and lived experience. When you call the Family Caregivers of BC Caregiver Support Line, you might reach Aaron, who draws on his training as an end-of-life doula, mindfulness practitioner, and time spent working in hospice care. Aaron also encourages you to invite presence, self-reflection, and meaning-making into your caregiving relationships. We sat down with Aaron so we could chat first about the distinction between hospice and palliative care. Today, the one time that I see palliative kind of used on its own is more about what's happening on the medical side of things. So when there is a palliative diagnosis, uh, there's usually a some sort of prognosis that's given of you have this many months or this many years left to live. Uh, and I guess there's a focus on managing symptoms as best as one can during this time. There may still be some curative measures that are attempted. But then when it comes to hospice, I guess traditionally that was often reserved more to perhaps the last weeks of life. Some people may think more of hospice being limited to like a, a residential setting. Yeah, there's been a lot of evolution where we, we now have the term hospice palliative care being used together like that. And that now extending to a much longer period of time. So once that palliative diagnosis is is there, then people often becoming eligible for hospice services or hospice palliative care, um, which no longer just needs to happen in, in a residential facility in the final weeks, but can happen uh, a year away from death uh, and can happen at home in the community and can include more supportive services. And then definitely hospice, I would say, is what's bringing in a lot more of the you know emotional, social, and spiritual aspects of care and not just looking strictly at the pain and symptom management through conventional medical means. Sure. And the way in which I differentiate the palliative with from the hospice is that, as you said, there's still a curative hope with palliative that perhaps the disease or the whatever it is can be postponed or alleviated in some way, and that there is a what I call a spiritual bridge that gets crossed where the curative no longer is a reality. But my question here is about the kind of experience people uh, have of the word hospice, because often they have a fear about if uh, I'm going into hospice, that means I'm, I will now die immediately. 
Have you had that experience of people kind of resisting? Yeah, definitely. I think even with my role here at Family Caregivers of BC, you know, speaking with some family members that have just found out that their loved one, you know, has a terminal illness. And when I make the suggestion of, you know, you may want to consider reaching out to a hospice right away, they think, oh, that's, you know, we're not there yet. But the reality is that, yeah, hospice is often about bringing more meaning to the time that's left. And that can exist in many different ways. It's not about, you know, being confined to a bed in a residence. It's about, yeah, what sort of services and what sort of companionship and community can you build around you in these last months or this last year to make the time as as meaningful as possible? Yeah, that's a very interesting distinction. I, I like that, that it the hospice uh, experience is, is about meaning making now. And maybe we can chat a little bit uh, more in more detail about it. Well, so, so what does that mean? You know, a big thing today is really honoring the fact that death doesn't have to be something that's, you know, hidden away in a bedroom or, or that needs to be in a hospital or in a residential facility. It can be at home and the person that's dying can be celebrated while they're still alive and they can be really in the middle of things. It invites families and the care recipient to come together and use that as a time for, for finding meaning, for doing reflective exercises. You know, there's life review and uh, legacy work, creative exercises to kind of reflect on, on one's life and what has been meaningful to that person in their life and how do they want to capture that in a way that their family can appreciate going forward and family members can be a part of this as well. I work with this uh, program uh, with family caregivers. It's a journal writing uh, process and, and the author of the, of the process itself had a fascinating, almost a motto about caregiving that uh, while death ends a life, it never ends a relationship. So that as a palliative care hospice connection gets made, a lot of times the caregiver encounters their own mortality and the relationship with their care recipient. Let's talk a little bit about that. When you cross that bridge, that now we are in the meaning process of the end of one's life. Any household hints about how as I, I sign up for hospice and get the palliative care treatment, how does that impact the caregiver to, to begin to understand that I'm on this trip with my care recipient? Oftentimes, you know, through the health authority, there will be a palliative care uh, interdisciplinary team that you will be connected with. So you'll have, you know, nursing, a doctor, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, perhaps a nutritionist, these type of people that can come to the home and, you know, the home care support that the care recipient needs in terms of, you know, help with their activities of daily living, uh, with bathing and, and, and that type of thing. So, you know, you can expect those supports to become available at varying degrees, depending on where they are on their palliative trajectory. And yeah, I just really strongly encourage family caregivers to ensure that they're a part of that team so that, you know, the health authority team actively engage the family caregiver in like meetings and, and care plan review and that type of thing. But this is something that 
we always encourage family caregivers to do is to make sure they're part of those conversations so that they know what's going on because they are the ones that are there on the ground all the time and they they really know their loved one or the care recipient best. I think it's really important that they recognize that that's an opportunity for them to have their voice in that discussion. When you're a part of these conversations and a part of that team, you begin to understand that in both the palliative care process as well as the hospice experience, they're deeply connected through your own fears about the meaning of life and the responsibility you have for enabling your care recipient to move through this process. Less is more when it comes to connecting with and meeting these apprehensive feelings. Even as you are listening to this podcast, Simply stop for a moment and be with the natural flow of your breath, observing your breath for even 30 seconds. Every little break you can do to try and coax yourself back into being a little more present and a little more still, that makes you more available for yourself and more available for your care recipient. Part of Aaron's role at Family Caregivers of BC is to recognize when the caregiver starts to cross the bridge from palliative care into hospice. This shift in thinking requires the caregiver to abandon the curative thing now and work toward meaning, which is delicate and hard to do. This requires the courage to invite people into this very private space, this very intimate space, of not only some of the physicality that we're engaged in, looking after your care recipient, but the spiritual nature of it, that there are relationship issues here that we are treading on very lightly, and Aaron helps facilitate this process. And yet it's the courage to ask, to have these conversations, is what's important. You know, sometimes just opening that side of yourself and what you're experiencing uh, to be able to have that conversation with someone like one of our staff here with the caregiver support line that's part of what we're here for we're, we're here to hear your experience we're here to be present with what you're going through sure, and not judge it and not judge it and you know validate that this is hard and that this is a lot but that we're here to stand by you as you go through it i don't think that anyone can do it alone not only is it a lot emotionally, but just the physical demands, often the 24-hour care that needs to be there, especially later on in the illness, help is needed. And so just, you know, we want to make sure that you do have the supports that are available to you. We want to make sure that you are, you know, connected with the health authority and that you're receiving care at home through the health authority. Um, and if that's not enough, we want to make you aware of what other options are there. You know, there's other initiatives uh, such as, you know, there's Better at Home, which is delivered through United Way that offers a lot of free or subsidized supports for seniors, uh, you know, help with shopping or going to appointments, things like that. These are the types of extra services that we want to make sure family caregivers are aware of. We want to make sure that, you know, you have the financial supports that you may be eligible for. If you need to step away from work. We want to make sure you, you know whether there's, you know, certain EI benefits that support caregivers for periods of time, all of these types of things. 
And yeah, oftentimes we do encourage uh, caregivers to find someone that can support them specifically at an emotional level. So that may that may mean, uh, you know, having some counseling support, which is nothing to be ashamed of. And it's something that can allow them to lighten their emotional burden to some degree to be able to continue to provide for their their care recipients. So all of these things are are not signs of failure. They're signs of you taking time for yourself so that you are more available to support the person you care about. You know, we always promote the peer support groups that we have uh, at Family Caregivers. You know, ours aren't aren't necessarily focused on on end of life, but definitely a lot of people are experiencing significant illness and and may have palliative prognoses that do attend our group. So, you know, there are our groups that we offer here, but also I, I definitely recommend exploring what's available through local hospices that may be near you, connecting with, you know, they may have a social worker on staff or or they may have their own counselors. And yeah, just connecting with that avenue to see what services they can they can support you with. So are there any other sort of meaning-making activities that come to your mind as we're in hospice now, for example, of the sort of things that are not invasive, but enable a communication between me and my care recipient in spite of maybe uh, some uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, uh, Parkinson's, whatever, that, that enables me to stay in the room? Yeah, I think it's going to depend on the scenario and the level of engagement and, and the level of cognition that's that's still present. For those that are still able, I did briefly mention before, you know, doing things like life review and legacy work. So, you know, life review could be journaling their stories, some of their most meaningful experiences from their life, uh, things that they, they want to recount and legacy work. Uh, you know, that could be something as simple as you know, making a scrapbook together, finding anything that's kind of most meaningful that for the care recipient and transforming that into some sort of creative project. It can be as simple as they're able if it's just recording their story or is it, uh, you know, collecting grandma's favorite recipes and, and making a book out of that. Situations where maybe they are a bit more advanced with their illness and, and not able to engage in those same ways. Perhaps then you can be the one that's sharing the stories to them. Or in the case of dementia, I, I keep thinking back to this a study that was done where they showed that people with very advanced dementia, if you played music for them, that was the music from their youth, from their 20s, that sometimes it would actually awaken them out of the depths of their dementia and they would become more animated again. Little things like that that can be quite meaningful. And I think it's worth... Yeah, looking at both sides of the picture. So we have, you know, what are the meaning-making activities that we're focusing more on the care recipient, but also perhaps more so later on, what are the activities that are going to be helpful for the caregivers, for the family members, the friends? Maybe when we're getting to the time of death, there's other things that might come in there. You know, so maybe certain rituals, things like bathing the body, things to help you kind of integrate the, the experience. Are there any other things uh, in terms of the role you have here at Family Caregivers of British Columbia, Aaron, that you would advise for our, of the caregivers who are listening about the resources that are available here? You've mentioned some of them so far. The one thing you mentioned there, dementia. So just as an example, you know, here on Vancouver Island, 
Island Health, they have put together an excellent video series uh, for caregivers caring for people with dementia that kind of walks you through all the things to expect along the way. So, you know, resources like that are super helpful, but yeah, getting more into like hospice related things, you know, aside from connecting with a local hospice, there's also really great online resources. There's virtualhospice.ca, which is an excellent resource for exploring all sorts of topics related to caring for people at end sure. of life. They have kind of a partner website, livingmyculture.ca, which explores, you know, indigenous and multicultural perspectives around the end of life. And then, yeah, there's some great books out there. Uh, I know one that we have here in the office at Family Caregivers of BC, we have a caregiver's guide, uh, a handbook about end of life care. And then, yeah, for those that want to maybe explore even more holistic approaches, you know, the end of life doula uh, model, there are some great books on that topic. One in particular that I think really moved me uh, when I got into this work, there's one called Caring for the Dying, the doula approach to a meaningful death. That was a very deeply moving book that kind of moves you through, you know, from creating a care plan to doing legacy work to, you know, holding vigil to supporting family through grief, all these types of things. Super helpful to learn from the experience of people that have done this in some cases, many times. The book that Aaron mentioned is by author Henry Fresco Weitz. In 2020, a new edition was published with the updated title, Finding Peace at the End of Life, A Death Doula's Guide for Families and Caregivers. As always, all the resources mentioned in our podcast episodes, including the two books, are linked in our show notes, which you can find on your podcast listening app or on our website. As we come to a close with Aaron and reflect on caregiving as a society, how can we develop a healthier relationship with death and dying? These are things that in many traditional cultures would have existed as an intrinsic part of the culture, as an intrinsic part of the family system. You would have had extended families living together where members of the family would be able to care for uh, the elders, this type of thing. But yeah, our society is different now. We, you know, typically all adults in the household often have to work full-time jobs and don't have that time uh, to provide that care. To some degree, we've lost touch with that natural kind of tradition of, of supporting the dying. So I think we've lost touch as well with the normalcy of it. We need to keep that conversation going. We need to be comfortable with using the word death, talking about dying and not make it something hush-hush that needs to happen behind closed doors. We need to make it visible and, and we need to celebrate the people that are dying. We don't need to wait until their funeral to you know, have a celebration of life. Let's have it while they're still alive. Let's have it every day for uh, their last few months. There's this line that I find myself saying lately, but I, I feel like it's, it's very to the point, which is let's recognize that it doesn't only take a village to raise a child, but it takes a village to care for people that are sick and people that are dying. Thank you for listening to Caregivers Out Loud, powered by Family Caregivers of British Columbia and hosted by Bill Israel. Produced and sound edited by Organized Sound Productions. We acknowledge the financial support of the province of British Columbia and the BC Ministry of Health Patients as Partners Initiative. 
If you like what you're hearing, discover more episodes and find more caregiving resources at familycaregiversbc.ca. And if you find these episodes helpful, please share them with your family and friends who may find it enlightening to hear these stories. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast listening app so you can take us with you wherever you go. Thank you for listening and taking the time to learn and care for yourself with other caregivers out loud.